We're pushing out our next episode in the Giant Robots Startup series. We want to pause to acknowledge, reflect, and take action against the injustices against the Black community. ThoughtBot stands with the Black community. We're outraged by the systematic racism and violence in the U.S. George Floyd, Tony McDade, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, Eric Gardner, Trayvon Martin, and too many other members of the Black community have lost their lives due to racial injustice. It needs to end. We recognize we haven't been doing enough to fight this injustice, and we need to be active in anti-racism. Our DNI Council and many others on the Thoughtbot team are discussing how we can do more and are working on new initiatives to better support our Black colleagues, our friends, and beyond far into the future. We're looking to do things both large and small. For example, this week we changed our conference reimbursement benefit to only be applicable to conferences that have a diverse speaker lineup and a code of conduct. We hope our efforts will be useful to others as well and plan to make them available to other companies to work from. In the meantime, we're going to link to a reading list that we recommend in the show notes. Today, we're resharing a past episode that features a Black voice in the tech community that we look up to and that you should know, Shelly Bell. Shelly is the founder of Black Girl Ventures, an organization that creates access to social and financial capital for Black and Brown women founders. She's been named in the top 100 power women by Entrepreneur Magazine and just really has a fantastic story that you don't want to miss. Stay safe and see you soon. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Lindsay Christensen, and with me today is Shelly Bell, the CEO and founder of Black Girl Ventures. Shelly, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So to get started, could you tell me what is Black Girl Ventures? At Black Girl Ventures, we work to create access to capital for Black and Brown women founders. One of the ways we do that is we have a program. We travel the country where we have women on stage and the entire audience actually donates. So it's crowdfunding meets pitching. So it's like Shark Tank with an audience, except everyone's a shark. So everybody in the audience actually donates to the women who are pitching the pitch that they favor. We also just uh, expanded to recruit 25 women from five different cities that we're bringing in, incubating and going through leadership development with them. And they will actually create the pitch competitions on the ground in their own community. And so throughout, they have to engage their communities four times a year. So they have one engagement a quarter, but they're doing more than that. And then they have the annual pitch competition where they actually use our vehicle to create access to capital for women locally in their communities. Very cool. Thank you. <laughs> I want to get into so many of the details about h- how this works and who's involved. Mm-hmm. But also, I want to learn, like, how did this actually start? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I was engaged to a man who did not want me to start a business. So at first, I didn't. Right. So, like, I mean, my background, I would say, like, I've lived many lives. I've always had a side hustle. So I was a teacher for seven years. I worked in workforce development. But also, so vacuum cleaners, and I I called myself a private eye at one point, and (laughs) used to have a web development company, like all these things always on the side throughout, like working really great jobs. But at this point, I'm like, you know what, I want to either start a business or get a job in art. 
and I was pregnant with my five-year-old, who's five-year-old now at the time. And he was like, no, I don't think you should. I think, you know, after you had a baby, you should just go back to work because it just feels unstable. He didn't trust it. And me, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be a wife. And like, I have to do this thing. And so I go back to work and I hated it every day, but I thought I was hiding it really well. Mm -hmm. And then one day my boss called me in and was like, hey, you're great, but this is not for you. I was doing some patent work because I also use the work for the patent and trademark office. I was doing some patent searching at this time. And he's like, you're great, but this is not for you. He laid me off. He gave me a really great package. And he was one of the best bosses I've ever had, honestly. But I was devastated. I went home and I called California Psychics. And I was just like, oh, my God, what is happening to my life? And so uh, the woman told me, she said, when you find a thing that you want to do, the money will come. And you're not going to be with that guy. Okay. Right? So within two months, my entire world just flipped. Our relationship broke down. We broke up. And I threw everything out of my living room. And I said, okay, I'm going to start a business. Right? And so the first thing I built was a teepee. Um, All right. I'm I'm with you. (laughs) I'm with you for this journey. Okay. And I said, I'm going to put this teepee in my living room. I'm going to rent it out. And everybody thought it was crazy. Like teepees. And at this point, teepees were not on the market for kids yet. People were like, what are you talking about? How are you going to build a teepee? Nobody's going to sleep in your living room in a teepee. I had like a friend of mine painting my living room. He's like six feet tall. I had him like lay down in the middle of the sticks. I'm like, I need to see if this can fit a six feet tall person. He's like, Shelly, nobody's going to sleep in your living room in a teepee. I said, I'm telling you, I'm going to put this teepee in my living room and I'm going to rent it out. I didn't even know how to drill a hole. I was at Home Depot and the guys were like, what are you doing? I'm going to build a teepee. I'm going to put it in my living room. I'm going to rent it out. They're like, nobody's going to do that, right? And were you, wait, were you going to do this on Airbnb? Absolutely. So come to find out, Airbnb has a teepee option. They also have like a boat option and a treehouse yeah, option. Yeah, they have like the unique experience or unique stay. Yeah. I mean, but this was even before that. They had teepees before they started the experiences. Mm-hmm. And so I put it on Airbnb and I had so many people that wanted to come stay with us. I quickly realized and wait, I didn't what, want uh, what city are you in? I need like the, the whole picture. Where Where okay, is this okay, happening? Cool, cool. <laughs> I'm in Virginia. So at the time I was in Alexandria. Now I'm in Fort Belvoir. Okay. Um, Virginia. Yeah. So Northern Virginia, close to D.C., right outside of D.C. Northern Virginia, Airbnb, mm-hmm. unique rooms. Right. TP, TP option. Room. And it was great. I mean, my mom helped me come up with the bedding. It had a door, it had a light inside. Like it was on and popping. It was a really great fancy little TP. So from there, I had learned to, like in a previous experience, I had learned to do t shirts. So I started this uh, t shirt line called Made by a Black Woman. And everybody loved it. I rolled with that. My mom invested some money in the business. And then I took my tax money and bought my own machines. And so from there, I started printing shirts for myself and for other people. Through that year, um, one of my mentors told me, don't change your design. So I didn't. I changed what I put it on. And so I started putting on kids clothes and then it just like took off. Everybody was like, oh, my God, my baby's black. I'm black. And I was like, yeah, that's not what I meant. But cool. Run with it. So (laughs) by the end of that year, we made Essence Magazine um, holiday gift guide for our baby bodysuit. Very cool. Yeah. And then that we got an influx of orders from there. I started doing business printing for other people. So I started doing printing for Amazon, for Google, like their custom merchandise orders. We started offering more custom merchandise. So I was just really building my business at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, but that was very lonely. And so I was like, it is very lonely. I, I need a community. 
And so the news came out that black and brown women are not getting access to capital. And so I was like, oh, people not getting access to capital. Let's just throw an event, throw some money in a hat and give it away. And that's literally how it started in a living room in Southeast DC at a brunch where I cooked all the food myself, which I would never do again and brought everybody together. I was like, hey, who wants to pitch? Four women got up. I ran it just like a poetry slam. You get three minutes, the audience gets to decide who wins. And that's literally what we did. Gave the money right back out to the winner in cash. I didn't really think twice about it, except that so many people enjoyed it that I kept doing it. And just naturally as a business owner, started getting other partners, got a whole volunteer team. We created an application process, created more engagements a year. And then I landed a partnership with Google Cloud for Startups. Google Cloud for Startups like helped us scale because I was also doing some internal work with Google as well. Yeah. Doing like activating community. Okay. So let's let's take it back to the beginning there because that's a really interesting kind of point in, in the story that we'll get to. But so these four folks that you have come pitch in, was it your house you said? Yeah, it wasn't my house, but it was a house. In a house. <laughs> a friend of mine's house. What were they pitching exactly? One of them has a business called uh, Rag Baby. And you basically create this doll together. And through it, you're like exploring your trauma. Another woman, her business was around products related to like spiritual development. And then the one woman... I want to say hers was about legal. I can't remember. I can't like that was literally so really three years different. Ago. Yeah, so 2016 and really different businesses or business ideas that maybe they were already working on to like various stages or maybe they oh, were yeah. side hustles of their own. Yeah, the one who won, which is the rag baby business, who does the personal development using the doll that you create together. She was already in business and had been for a while. And it's interesting because those are kind of like night and day from what we see right now. Right. You know, now we're seeing, you know, VR, AR, beauty tech, fintech. We're seeing, you know, healthcare in a different way and people trying to solve different healthcare issues. Mm-hmm. That original group, what were they walking away with in terms of money from the event? It was maybe like five or ten dollars a person at that time. Mm-hmm. So I think she walked away with maybe two hundred and fifty dollars or so. So at first it was you pay to get in and then we would split the money with the founder. Mm -hmm. And then because of the Google partnership, we couldn't charge people to come into the Google office. So we had to become a Google charity in order to raise money on site. Okay. And so you vote with your dollars now. And then after that first event, it sounds like there was some definitely more interest, some buzz, and it starts turning into a thing. And you see the opportunity. Absolutely. So after that first event, people were like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. We had one of the commissioners from Ward 7 come. She spoke and she was like, this is amazing. Like, y'all are gathering black women, like black women helping black women. Um, And we support black and brown. But at that point, I had to do work on that messaging Mm -hmm. to actually open up, to have us not be a silo, to have it not be like black women talking to black women. I had to really do work to create the right messaging and the right partners to say anybody can be in this audience to support black and brown women moving their businesses forward. And then we we moved out of that house. <laughs> like that was the only event. I think that's the only pitch competition that we did in an event we did in that house. We did some other things in there. But then we moved into like a look like somebody's like, oh I got a local restaurant. So then it was 
we moved into this local restaurant. We did a couple events there. And I'm like, okay, if we're going to really do this, we have to find a place. Mm -hmm. So through a board that I was on called the Beacon DC, which is uh, works on um, amplifying women entrepreneurs. I met a woman who worked for Make Offices, uh, which is a co-working space. And so I partnered with them. They gave us free space. And that was when the event started getting larger. And so this is like spring of 2017 at this point. Mm -hmm. And are you working Um, on it full time at that point? No, not at that point. I still have my print business. So Mm -hmm. my print business was the majority of my capital for me. And, you know, what helped me springboard building Black Girl Ventures was me doing the T-shirt work and Mm -hmm. uh, doing the custom merchandise. Okay. And at some point during that process, you start working at Google? Yeah. So I started working as a Google digital coach. What's that? At that time, our job was to engage community in Google digital products that can help push your businesses forward. So, you know, our KPIs were around bringing a community in and gathering a community around, like, how do you use Google ads? How do you use Google alerts? Like, what kind of things does Google have available in order for you to be able to push your business forward? And was that specifically for smaller businesses? Yes. Small businesses, startups, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, which is somebody just introduced me to that word recently, which I'm going to start using, which is like (laughs) people who want to get their thing off the ground, all the way to people who were brick and mortar in business and just Mm -hmm. needed to level up. And so is it through that experience that then... Google catches wind of Black Girl Ventures? Kind of, because it was kind of happening simultaneously, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, I was on the board of Beacon with a great friend of mine. We became great friends, and she was a Googler. Google is really huge. So, like, parts of Google found out about us because of her. Mm -hmm. So she introduced me to Google Cloud outside of me doing the work I was doing for Google, And then working with the Google Cloud person introduced me to the Google Cloud for startups lead. And then we started developing a relationship and figuring out like what their goals were and how it was aligned with what our goals were. And then we started working with them that way. But it was almost like being a a Googler helps. So like the fact that I was more internal than not meant that there was some really easy ways for me to float different offices, but still they were the sponsor, right? So Coupling those together made it helpful, but it wasn't that because I was doing the digital coaching that that's the way I got to Google. It was more like it wasn't a direct line. Nah, it wasn't, but it helped because I was internal enough for us to be able to move through different markets. Mm -hmm. You know, I had access and could work directly with them much more easier than me not being a Googler. So what were those goals of the Google Startup Program and your own program that aligned? Yeah, so some goals are product development for startups. And what does that look like? Like, how do we use Google Cloud to help people develop their products, um, help their products be smarter, faster? And so for us, working with startups who are developing products, right, or Um, using Google Cloud in different ways, whether that be Google Drive, whether that's some of the machine learning pieces, we were able to like help them get the word out in our community and then help people get access to it by giving them Google Cloud credits. So not only it was their goals of like being able to have people use Google Cloud to develop their products, but then our goals of wanting to give our community more access, like access to resources, access to support, access to things that can help you build your your products out. 
And at what point did the founders that you were getting to pitch and get involved veer way more into the technical side? So 2017, we were mainly just in D.C. So we were just doing four events a year, once a quarter in D.C. And when 2018, we got the Google Cloud for startups connection. Also, like I'm doing the work locally for Google here. We started looking at other markets, like how do we align with the other Google Digital Coach offices, right? Which because they're in Atlanta, they're in Chicago, Detroit, Miami um, and L.A. And so I started looking at their offices and then looking at how was that aligned with Google Cloud as well? So like it was just like aligning everything right to then move into these different spaces. And on top of the fact that like more press, right? So I'm doing more speaking I'm going out, I'm talking to people, I'm working that angle. We had done South by Southwest at that point. So I think it also helped us get the visibility. So when we did South by Southwest, you know, we had basically all tech founders at that point mm-hmm. between FinTech or health tech or people trying to gather people using tech, like those types of businesses. Uh, one of the companies that I love called Spot Locator, which was about like photographers being able to find different great spots for taking photos using like people posting where they had been. Right. So, I mean, it was just such a great experience. And I think from there, it kind of set the stage for us to say, you know, oh, this is serious. We, we're industry agnostic, though. So if you're not uh, particularly a tech founder, we don't push you away. Okay. We do want you to be tech enabled. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's tech enabled revenue generating under a million that you have to be generating some revenue. So you want people who are past out of your face and in business for real, who need that boost. So when we did South by Southwest, I think it really propelled us into seeing more tech founders apply. So what makes for a good pitch? Yeah, that's such a great question. And of course, there's multiple elements, but who are you? Why do I care? Right? Like, I think, (laughs) what's your story? How does it make money? As someone on the investment side, I'm looking at it for... Who is the founder? Because in these early stages, to be honest, you're invested in a founder. And so it's important that that founder is resilient. It's important that that founder knows their stuff. It's important that that founder is not afraid of answering questions about the money. You know, you'd be surprised how many people get nervous about like, how much revenue are you generating? What's the margins? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not that they don't know them. They're just so nervous to answer questions about the money. And me, I'm sitting there thinking like, well, why would you want me to answer questions about giving you money if you can't talk to me about the money I'm going to make with you, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I think there's like a difference of like money making off of you and money making with you that people have to wrap their head around. So ultimately, I would just say like a founder who is resilient and not afraid to answer questions. I also think there is the story. Now, what's your story? Why you for this thing? There's a million people who could have started whatever the thing is that you started why did you do it? And how are we going to make money together? And who are your pitch judges these days? Yeah, so typically people are in an innovation space. So directors of innovation, um, we like to have people who are doing that. Also investors. And then we have, we've had people who are like global VPs of policy and product developers. Mm-hmm. But innovators, investors are our two main people that we go to. And and we prep them before with the Harvard Board Review article about the way women are asked prevention questions versus oh, really? promotion questions. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So we choose the judges and we usually, you know, have conversations with them, figure out who they are, that kind of thing, where their investment is in women. 
like where are you in investing in women? Like that's important for us and how you view investing in um, underrepresented communities, LGBT communities, disabled communities, like senior communities, like these communities that are underrepresented. But the HBR article talks about how women are asked prevention questions versus promotion questions. So things like how many downloads do you have versus like how are you planning to grow this product? Mm-hmm. Right. Like how many downloads you had is as if you had to give a specific number. And if it's wrong, then we're not going to invest in you. Right. Which is really not the real approach. You know, we know when people are pitching, we're aware that you have room to grow. Like if you didn't have room to grow, though, it wouldn't be worth investing in you. So instead of saying, well, how many downloads you have? Men are asked, well, how do you plan to reach a thousand downloads versus do you have a thousand downloads? You know, it's a different kind of questioning. Mm hmm. That's really interesting. How do the judges react to that? Have they been receptive to that instruction? Yeah, they have. I think it's funny you should ask that. Nobody ever asked me that. That's a good question. They are receptive. But one of the questions that I do get asked sometimes is like, so do you want me to be soft? And I'm like, no, 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 no. no. Like, I want you to ask hardcore questions. I just want you to be thoughtful about why you're asking it. Right. Like one, I think the reason why we don't have judges that make the final decision and that we include the entire audience is because if we are allowing less than 1% of the room to make the final decision, then that's actually mirroring the problem, mm-hmm. right? So like most competitions where they're like, oh, you get three or four judges, but you're in a room of 100 and something, 200 plus people, and only these three people get to make a decision. Isn't that the problem? <laughs> so why would I do that, right? So it's like, you're here to guide the audience toward investing, you're not here to rip them apart for no reason, just so you can say, I'm not giving you a dollar. Like, that's not what we are. But we, but hardcore questions and deep questioning to pull out of them what they're doing is definitely valid. Like, I'm not saying you got to be soft. I'm just saying you got to be thoughtful. Yeah. I recently did some judging for Mass Challenge, mm-hmm. which is an accelerator that started in Boston and, is, and now has a, has a bunch of locations. But I was really impressed, actually, that they had us as like a judging panel watch a really short but informative video about bias before we actually heard the the pitches. I thought it was such a great idea. Just like quick reminder before people come in the room, you are going to judge them immediately based on if they, you know, look like you or not or from a different background. So, you know, please keep that in mind as you move forward today. So I think things like that can be really small, easy, but impactful. I love that. We should consider doing a video. It makes a difference, right? Some of these things like every day, like there's bias everywhere and we're not keeping it top of mind all the time. So to say like, we want to set this tone and the stage to say, we are human. We're human. Mm-hmm. But keep top of mind that these things may be happening in your head before they even pitch, right? Or while they're pitching, they didn't say a thing and now you're you're caught up there. Like, let's keep in mind what we're here for. So I love that. I love that. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we do it as well. That's great. And you mentioned that, you know, when you had the original idea, it was because you had basically, you know, heard some startling statistics about funding for Black women. Do you have any sort of numbers you can share with us around, like, what is the state of investing look like? Yeah, so Black women start businesses at six times the national average, yet receive less than 1% of venture capital. 
Six times the national average. Six times. So people are starting businesses like crazy without support. And so the top three things that Black founders face, Black and Brown founders, underrepresented founders in general actually face is lack of access to capital, lack of ability to hire, and then lack of access to influential networks. And so in my opinion, lack of access to influential networks is actually the key because you don't know anybody. So even if you did get $100,000 a day, do you have the what we call the ABCs of business, an attorney, a banker, and a CPA? Like, do you have those people in your corner who could help you like manage on top of like, do you have a team? Do you have leadership development? Do you have, do you have mentors, advisors? Do you have people around you that are going to help you fare as you build this business or continue to? Another thing I'm passionate about is policy. So in order for you to get an SBA loan, you have to be in business. Um, I think it's at least three or four years. Well, like that's not going to help a startup. Hmm. All right. So even if you have, you know, strong financials from a year, uh, strong financials for two years. You still got to wait that extra third year before you can even apply for SBA loan. And I think those are some things we got to visit because more startups are happening and people are getting disengaged from places like that are supposed to be helpful for entrepreneurs like SBA. You know, the fact that there is billions of dollars going out in venture capital a year and then looking at where it's going is not necessarily going to underrepresented founders. So Underrepresented founders in general receive less than 8% of venture capital and women receive less than 2%. And then black women, black and brown at this point, receive less than 1% of venture capital. So that gives you like a a broader view of like how that's working. Yeah. Are you working on the connection piece or are you more focused on the sort of capital jumpstart at this point? So I think we're at the intersection of both, right? So like the connection piece is 100% what we're working on. We say access to social and financial capital is in our mission because, again, they, they go hand in hand. So part of the reason why we uh, launched this train to trainer kind of model is because I realized there's a huge need to incubate local leaders. Local leaders are going to be the ones who make the difference in the bigger picture, so the, the pitch competition piece is a low barrier way to get access to capital to the communities. From there, we're looking at like that connection piece. So my original hypothesis was, could I create a large enough brand that can pull a bunch of people in a room and get them to go in their own pockets and give? That was my original hypothesis. It's like, while we wait for the financial industry to do whatever it's doing to hopefully one day become more equitable, how do we keep people in business in the meantime? We have to have alternate solutions for the larger financial system because it just takes so long for it to move. So we're at the intersection of both. I yeah. think through us empowering the leaders locally and connecting them and getting them into having a voice, there's so many directions that that will go, right? Like how do we get people involved in, in having a voice locally? How do we move the needle on eligibility rules around grants and financing and things like that for small businesses? What does it look like to say, Economic development is Black Girl Ventures came into your city. We held an event in this location with 350 plus people who all came and donated their money to Black and Brown women who were local business owners. And then within a five mile radius of that venue, everybody there patronized somebody. Mm-hmm. That's the level of economic development. I feel like when we talk about businesses, we only talk about economic development being hiring. 
That's the only metric people talk about. Oh, like, did you create a big enough, bad enough business for you to hire people? Guess what? You're not counting that I hired myself. <laughs> Number one, like that, is, I feel like that's nowhere in the metrics. Like the fact that I hired myself and I kept myself employed <laughs> over the last three years, nobody's counting me as yeah. that I created a job, right? It's about all the other jobs I create. However, there's still, and this is where we have to take a page from art. Right. So I do performance poetry and I was really, really heavy in it uh, from like 2010 to about 2014. And if you look at the way art measures economic development, we probably should be mirroring that for startups because startups are starting up. They may not be hiring 50 to 100 people. Right. However, they're active in a way that brings people to a space that then gets them to keep the small businesses in business on top of like hiring out freelancers. Like they're not counting that as jobs in the metrics of did we create a job? However, we're keeping the gigs gigging, (laughs) right? Like we're the ones, you know, I'm not saying we're the only ones, but we're taking Ubers all over town. You know, we are hiring the freelancers who are doing the copywriting and doing running ads. And if there's a concentration of startups in that area, you best believe we're keeping the freelancers going So where are the local leaders? Is it you've hired local leaders in specific cities? So the pitch competition itself has a revenue model. And I don't talk about this often. And we will be launching it more publicly over this year. But I built a tech platform called SheRaise, where we take in the donations from the audience. So it allows you to vote with your dollars. It also allows the founders to showcase their work. So they get to put up a video, they get to put all their links. And then while you're at the competition, you actually use this platform to donate. And now that that tech platform is in place, that frees us up to be able to recruit local leaders, put people in place to be able to launch their own competitions. And this is where we're going to be scaling. So going out and then getting those local leaders, training them, developing them, bringing them kind of internal to Black Girl Ventures. We raise capital to be able to have the markets going. And then through the pitch competition model, we actually give some of that capital back to the markets as well. And we hire them out to do things. So we've created kind of our own like supplier channel. So these are local leaders who do marketing. Um, They have their own companies doing several different kinds of things. And so now when we need things, we say, hey, anybody in our group can do these things. And then we just hire them out. Yeah, that's amazing. So building up the whole community. And you mentioned, I think at least in one case, working with local political leaders. Is that on your agenda too? kind of collaborating with local government and and how that relates to how the, the businesses operate and are supported? Yeah, eventually that is the goal. I mean, first things first is when it comes to amplifying a voice, We are not a political organization. We don't. That's not necessarily a part of our mission. But when it comes to giving people a stronger voice locally for what it means for them to move the needle, right? So that's how I look at it. Like we have these 25 leaders recruited. How can we help them feel like their voice can be amplified locally? And so what kind of things do they want to see, right? I think one of the purpose of, of activating local leaders around local business is to say, how can we empower you? Sometimes I think in underrepresented communities, we feel like like everything's just affecting us, right? It's like, we're just being affected by all these rules that are being put in place. We're being affected by all this historical context of 
companies or buildings or people treating black or brown folks wrong inside their company. Like we're just always being affected. And so I think my thing is given the opportunity to empower you, what does that voice look like? So if that is like, how do we create civic engagement around like local leadership with governments? I mean, I want black governments to get to a place where we're creating so much impact in these local communities that local governments are bidding for us to come. Like, Hey, like I know that you're engaging local leaders. You're also creating economic development and social impact and in civic engagement. We need you to be in, you know, X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. city to help create a resurgence of energy. Yeah. So yeah, my goal is that we are connecting to advocating for what it means for black and brown folks, underrepresented communities locally, and that that does have a political voice in some sense. Absolutely. If people want to get involved with Black Girl Ventures, you know, what are different ways that they could do that? So, of course, you can always donate. We have a donation button on our website at blackgirlventures.org. And actually, just to emphasize that, um, what kind of donations are you looking for? Large donations, um, like all sizes? Um, It's funny. So there is a line on Coming to America where she says... We accept the kind that jingles, but we really <laughs> want the kind that folds. <laughs> so we are definitely looking for large donors to do the work that we want to do locally in these cities. We do eight cities a year, including um, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, D.C., Detroit, and we travel the country. We're moving more toward doing this trainer trainer model more and more. So we're moving more toward doing the chapter model. Right now, our chapters are Houston, Philly, Miami, Birmingham, Alabama, and Durham, North Carolina. We want to launch a chapter in New York, Boston, Atlanta, Oakland, and Chicago. So those are our sites on for our next batch of chapters. And we need a large budget to do that work. So we definitely want large donors and want to engage uh, the philanthropic community and those who are passionate about seeing underrepresented voices rise and underrepresented communities rise, civic engagement, economic development. Also, if individual donors are not in a position to do large donations, you know, don't think that any donation is too small. Like, if you're like, hey, I got $20, I just want to have something on it. Like, we definitely want that. And we appreciate those donations. We want to open up something. So right now, you do have to be in the room during the pitches when you're giving. But our plan is to open up something, a virtual version because we had a tech platform to do it now. So now that we have the tech platform to do this, you know, we could easily do some virtual pitches as well, which means that everybody would be able to donate from anywhere across the globe. Very cool. And and then what are the other ways that folks can get involved? I guess one is actually pitching. How how can people figure out how to pitch? Oh yeah, absolutely. We want you to come apply. So at blackgirlventures.org, you can go and you apply to pitch. We kick off at South by Southwest. So that'll be our first event of the year. That's March 16th. So another one is just like, come out. Go to blackgirlvengers.org, find out how you can attend and come out and actually engage. So you can just be an audience member? Yeah, absolutely. Come be an audience member. That's great. And then if you want to get more involved, like we're always looking for people, review help for applications, pitch coaches, because we offer pitch coaching to the women who come through advisors who would be willing to talk to women who have run, people have run a business or who have been in the startup world raising or had your access to capital in some other ways. Like we want you to have a 30 minute conversation with some of our alumni about how you can push them forward. 
also always follow us online. So follow the blog where we're talking about most of this stuff all the time. Follow us on Instagram at Black Girl Ventures. Twitter is at B Girl Ventures. And if people want to follow along with you personally, what's the best way to do that? Oh, yeah. Follow me. So <laughs> <laughs> I am Shelly Bell everywhere. So it's I-A-M-S-H-E-L-L-Y-B-E-L-L. So I am Shelly Bell.com at I am Shelly Bell on Twitter, Instagram. I'm pretty easy to find. That's great. And uh, do you have any speaking engagements coming up? I know you'll you'll be out at South by right for the pitch competition. Yeah. Anywhere else we should look out for you? Any new news features? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I will be at the AG Gaston Conference in Birmingham, Alabama. It is February 10th through 12th. I'll be speaking on the 12th. I will also be actually in Boston soon. I'm also involved uh, with a group called Engage, and they're going to be doing an event on the 27th, I believe, in New York to have some conversations around uh, political engagement. And I'll be speaking on small business engagement. And I'll be tweeting out all of these things. So if you follow me, I'll definitely be posting about where I'll be. Well, Shelly, thanks so much for sharing your story today. And thanks for all the great work that you're doing out there in the community and lifting folks up and and telling us how we can get involved so you don't have to do all the work. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I appreciate podcasts and people who are working to like get the word out about the great work that we're doing, right? Like without people like you, it would make it more challenging for us to amplify. So thank you for having me. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening. See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.